Well, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that we're in a series called Being Church. And we're actually exploring this idea of what it means to become the body of Christ. More so, as we think about what it means to become the body of Christ, we're actually looking at truly what it means to enjoy our church membership. What it means to become a better member in the body of Christ as it pertains to the local church. And so for the last couple of weeks, the first week we covered what actually is the body of Christ. How do we define it? What does that look like? And we explored the idea that everybody is given a gift in the church. We even did a spiritual gift survey so that all of us could have this idea as to what is our gifting. So that each of us could come to the realization that who we are in the church is not insignificant. That every single one of us is vital to the body of Christ. Because God made us all unique and different so that we could support the church in our own unique way. That we would be functioning members of the body of Christ, of this church, of his church. And then last week we actually started talking about unity in the church. Because we know too often that the church can become divisive. That it can be split along lines of questions here and questions there. Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? We know that God, though, is calling us to a unified body to to set aside differences, not our different gifts, because those are important, but our differences in opinion so that we could work in unity together. For when the church is unified, we become a better image of Jesus in our community. And so as we unify around Christ Jesus, we actually fulfill better the purpose of God in our lives and in our church. And so today we're going to shift to what it means to be a servant first. To be a servant first community. To have the mentality that as a member of this church, I want to put forth every effort to serve. I want to be a servant as God has called me to be a servant. And so our passage today comes from Mark chapter 9. And so if you want to open your Bibles there, that's where we're going to be. We're going to be exploring what it is that Jesus has to say about what it looks like to be a servant. And so this is Matthew chapter 9 starting in verse 33. And they came to Capernaum, they being the disciples and Jesus. They had just spent some time uh, ministering to the people uh, up in Galilee. And now they have left that area and they have come to Capernaum. So, and they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And Jesus sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, 
Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, being a servant isn't the first thing that comes naturally to us. The desire to serve is one that we often think of as not our job, but somebody else's. I am myself guilty, Lord, of oftentimes looking not to be a servant, but to be the one out in front, to be the one seen, to ask myself, am I the greatest? But Lord, as we come to you today, I, I pray, God, that that we would hear from you. We would hear from you specifically about what it means to serve, Lord. And that any words that come out of my mouth that are not from me or not from you would fall to the ground and fall on deaf ears. But Lord, if there is anything that is good, God, let it be heard. Let it hit our hearts and let us be changed and transformed for your purpose in this church. And for your purpose in revealing the kingdom of God to the people around us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Amen. And so as we start looking about what it looks like to be a servant in the church, I actually want to give you two examples Two examples from my own experience in ministry of two very different kinds of people. The first, this was in my very first uh, full-time position in ministry, in my first year of ministry. I was working with students as I had been since the time I got out of seminary until I came to serve you all. And I was working in this student ministry, and I had one of my volunteers who was working specifically with our middle school students, and we were going through a time of confirmation. A really exciting time in the church is you get to have these students actually confirm their baptism. They get to confirm their faith and say, you know what, that baptism that I had, I'm going to affirm that I believe in Christ Jesus and that everything that he affords and offers is to membership in the church. Confirmation, something to be excited about in bringing new believers into the church and affirming who they are and their call to be a part of the body. Sounds exactly like what we've been talking about. Confirmation is an opportunity to realize and recognize that we're bringing new people into the body of Christ and that they're affirming that call for themselves. But here I have a, a volunteer. And this volunteer is working with these middle school students and, and she is working with them in a manner to help them go through the confirmation process We've been working together the entire time to make sure that they've gone through all the curriculum, to make sure they have a, a grasp and an understanding of what it means to have faith, what it means to be a part of the church, what it means to believe certain things of the church, right? Your typical confirmation. And then Confirmation Sunday arrives, and we, we want to make sure that these students know that, that this is about them, that it's about them and their growth and their coming to be a part of the body. And I thought it was wonderful. I thought this was a fantastic experience. The kids loved it. The parents loved it. The church loved it. Such a wonderful opportunity to bring these students back into the body. 
And little did I know, but I thought that it was wonderful. It was the first confirmation that I had ever done, ever been a part of in a Presbyterian church. I was excited. I was so excited to see those kids go through confirmation. And we were doing our confirmation. It's, it's getting close to December, actually. Um, Christmas is coming up, and as the youth pastor, I wanted to make sure that all the volunteers were honored, that they, they realized that I couldn't do what I do if it wasn't for them. In fact, if it wasn't for them, then there would be no ministry because I simply didn't have the capacity to take care of everything. And so I was trying to think of things to, to do for them, and so I put together a little basket for them, and I was really, really excited. But, you know, I had noticed that this volunteer hadn't been around in a while. I hadn't seen them for a couple weeks after confirmation. I wasn't sure it was up, and... So I called them up, and I was like, hey, like, I don't know what's going on, you know, just want to make sure you're okay. Uh, I, have, I have something that I, I would love to give you if you could meet me, and, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, there's, I don't know, maybe she just had something else going on. But anyways, here's what happened. Ultimately, after that phone call, she said, yes, I would love to meet, you know, can you meet at this time here at the church, and I would really love the senior pastor to be present. And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> this isn't good. Whenever the statement also have the senior pastor present, <laughs> it's not going to be a good conversation. But ultimately, here's where it led to, is on that day we met, and I had a nice little gift basket prepared to give for her, to her for her, her service and her ministry to these students. And before I could even get two words out of my mouth, I was hushed. I said, you're not, she, she told me, you're not allowed to speak. I'm going to tell you what's going on. And then proceeded for the next 15 minutes, go on a tirade about how she didn't feel like she was recognized for confirmation. How she didn't feel that she was appreciated for all the hard work that she put into the confirmation class. Because on Confirmation Sunday, I didn't, we didn't stand up and just say her name. We didn't give her anything on Confirmation Sunday. Whew. At the end of that little tirade, she got in her car and drove away and never got her appreciation gift. The very thing that she really wanted... She walked away from. But what she really wanted was the affirmation in front of everybody to see, look how good I am. Look at all that I have done. Look at how I am a leader in this church. Look how I led these kids and these students. It got in the way of her actual service to the church. She left the church after that. We didn't see her again as long as I was on staff there. She never came back, her or her family. And it was a sad but a realizing moment for me that in the church, there are going to be those that serve, truly serve with a servant's heart. And there are going to be those that serve with only one desire, to be recognized, to be seen, and to receive glory for themselves. Which leads me to the second person. A few years later, I was in another church, also leading student ministry, and I had this one leader that was phenomenal. 
absolutely amazing, did everything he could to make sure that he was pouring into his kids that he was small group leader for, doing everything he could for them, showing up and showing out to, to games, whatever it was, to have meals with them, coffee, whatever they needed, he was there. He was doing everything that he could to make sure that he was caring for students for serving their needs above anything else. But in that student ministry, there were a couple people that were always wondering why it never seemed that he was doing anything. They constantly questioned why he wasn't perfect in the way that he served everybody else in the ministry. Why this person was doing so much, but it seemed that he was actually doing so little. What they didn't see was all the behind-the-scenes work that this leader constantly poured in to kids. So much so that it actually got to the point that, that this leader decided that due to all the ridicule by the other volunteers in the ministry that he was going to step away. He was going to step away because it was just too much. And it was clear that all the other volunteers wanted to go a completely different direction. They had their ideas about what it looked like to do ministry, and he wasn't doing it the way that they wanted to because he was more interested in discipleship and pouring into kids than they wanted him to be concerned about the games and the fun and why wasn't he always participating in doing those things. So he left. But what's ironic about that is that though the leaders never saw all the work that he put in, the evidence was clear that when he walked away from that ministry, away from the kids that he was pouring into, things started to change. The ministry started to crumble. The kids that he was putting so much of his life and heart and soul into, they didn't seem as interested to be present for the games part. They were just eager to be sitting under somebody that just loved them and wanted to serve them no matter what. So two people in similar ministry contexts doing the same thing for two different groups. One, where all they wanted was their own glory. And the kids never could have cared less whether she stayed or she went. The other context where he didn't look like it from the outside to everybody else, but he was serving heart and soul to give students everything that they needed. But because he didn't look like it, he walked away. Because people hurt that leader so much. Even though he had the servant's heart. So... We have these two leaders, and here's the thing. In the church, we all know that when it comes to each of us, we probably fall somewhere in between. We fall somewhere in between these two leaders. Some of us want to be servants, true servants at heart. All we want to do is serve the church, and we don't want to receive an ounce of recognition for what we do. We just want to be allowed to continue to serve at the fullness and capacity of which we are capable of doing. That's one extreme. But the other is that 
we serve the church because all we want to do is be seen. We want the recognition. We want people to see us. We want the glory for ourselves. We want everyone to know who we are. Two extremes. And all of us somewhere probably fall somewhere in between there. Fall somewhere in the middle of, yeah, I do want to serve the church, but I want a little bit of recognition. I want a little bit of glory. I want a little bit of, I want people to recognize me a little bit, right? We've all been there. We've all been somewhere in between that continuum of wanting to serve the church with a passionate heart, but also just really wanting someone to say, you're doing such a phenomenal job. I've been there. But Jesus is calling us to really something more, something deeper about what it looks like. Our passage today really tells us there isn't an in-between. You're either one or you're kind of the other. Always vying for a little bit of glory for yourself. Jesus is a part of the body of Christ to be a unifying body with one another to serve a gospel purpose means to never be serving oneself but always serving another and so let me get into a little bit of bit of context for today's passage it's actually quite fascinating really as we think about this passage where all the disciples have come together and they're walking, they're on their way and during their entire walk to Capernaum, they're having the conversation among themselves, well no, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Don't, didn't you see Jesus talk to me yesterday? He thinks I'm the best of us. Like we all want Jesus to say like you're the best, right? I mean, come on. We all would love to hear one day when we stand before him, well done, my good and faithful servant. But here they are walking along the way. But just before this, just before they start having an argument among, them, among themselves about who is the greatest, they're in a town in Galilee, and there's a man that comes up to the disciples because Jesus is away with James, John, and Peter. He's up on the mountain for the transfiguration, right? And so the disciples are down in town while Jesus is up on the mountain. And this man comes to him, comes to the disciples with his little boy who's demon-possessed. He's deaf and mute. And this demon has possessed him his entire life since he was in childhood. And he's coming to the disciples. He's like, I, I want my boy to be healed. Come on, Right? And he wants his boy to be healed. And so he brings him to the disciples thinking, surely, surely they can deliver my son. And so they come to him, or he comes to them, and, and they can't do it. Not a single disciple can do what needs to be done. Not a single disciple can deliver this boy from his demon possession. So Jesus comes down off the mountain with James, John, and Peter after the transfiguration on the mountain. You know, Jesus is like, so what's going on? Why, why is everybody up and up? Or why is everybody arguing? And then the man with the son shouts out like, we're arguing because your disciples couldn't do this. They couldn't deliver my son. And so Jesus just simply says, leave. And the demon leaves the boy and the boy is healed. The disciples couldn't do anything. 
And then they actually leave that city and start having an argument about who of them is the greatest. None of you. Jesus is the greatest. He's the one that delivered the demon from the possessed boy. None of y'all can do anything. But how often do we get in our own ministry context and we start thinking, well, I can do this. I've got this. I've got it. And then when it fails, we want to push that blame onto somebody else and say, it was them. They did it. We don't want to admit that we're actually not great. We can't admit that we're not great. We want to say we've got this. We want to put ourselves in control. We want to put ourselves in the master seat. That's ultimately what ends up happening is we want to put ourselves in the master seat. And so what happens after this argument that they have among each other is once they arrive in Capernaum, they get to the house that they're staying at. Jesus asks them, what were y'all talking about along the way? Silence. Not a single one of them answers. They're so full of embarrassment for even having the conversation that not one of them can speak up and say, we were arguing about which one of us is the greatest. But Jesus knew. He didn't have to ask the question, but he wanted to ask the question. He wanted to ask the question because it was an opportunity for him to teach them about what it really means to be great in the kingdom of God. And for us as the church, as the church body, we have to constantly ask ourselves, remind ourselves what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. Because truthfully, we're all in this position and in this place, me included, where we constantly tell ourselves, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, I'm doing so much. I'm doing a lot for the church. I'm such a good servant. I'm such a good servant. I do so much. I lead well. I'm doing my best. I'm, I am the greatest. We tell ourselves that in silence. We're not going to tell other people that. We're not going to risk the embarrassment of anyone else hearing that. We want it for ourselves. We want that recognition. But we're not going to risk what it might be or what it might mean if we actually said it out loud. And yet here, we know in our hearts that we've been this way and so does Jesus. Jesus knows that in our hearts we've been this way. He shows it by the very fact that when he asked the disciples what they were discussing and they don't admit it, he says, oh, but I know. I know. And so come here, sit down, and let's have a teaching moment. And so this is honestly just a teaching moment for us, the church, and for all of us as individuals as a part of this church, that, that we really need to hear what Jesus has to say about what it means to be the greatest, what it means to be the greatest in the church. And here's what he says. He says, to be the greatest means that if you want to be first, you must be last of all and servant of all. And Jesus says that to his disciples. And I can't imagine how when they hear that, they feel that, that piercing to the heart. Because they've been so concerned about being the greatest, about being lifted up and glorified among each other, about receiving the notoriety among Jesus' disciples as being the best of the disciples. And yet Jesus says, if you want to be greatest, if you want to be first, you have to be last. 
You have to be the one in the very back that nobody ever sees. That nobody knows what you've done. Nobody has any clue how hard you have worked to make everything else happen that's in front of you. And then right after he teaches them, he shows them radical servitude. He picks up a child, puts it in his lap and holds him in his arms. A child considered literally nothing during this time period. They had no value because children couldn't work. They didn't do anything for the family unit until they were old enough to actually serve an apprenticeship and start working for the family business. Until then, a child was quite useless to them. And yet Jesus saw infinite value in worth in serving a child so much that he took a child into his arms and put him in his lap. And he said about that child, whoever receives one of these such children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. This is how Jesus responds to this attitude of being the greatest in the kingdom. And so what? So what is a servant? What does this actually mean for us today and in the church? Well, by definition, a servant is someone who performs a duty for others. Somebody who performs duties for others. Not for self, but for someone else. I actually like to think of it a little bit further than this. It's not just somebody that serves in the duty of others, but it's also within the context of some sort of servant-master relationship. Usually when it means to serve, it means that somebody is saying, this is what you are to do, and the servant goes and does it. The servant-master relationship. Has anyone ever seen Downton Abbey? Does anyone like Downton Abbey? I think this is a fantastic example of being able to see this dichotomy between master and servant, right? In the very first episode, you know, you just have the servants' quarters down in the basement, and then you have like a separate wing for them, and they have their own hallway that, that nobody else is supposed to go down. It's all theirs, right? But the servants have one purpose. It's essentially to be seen and not heard. Their job is to serve the household to the best of their ability, making sure that everything goes according to plan. Every minute detail is, is just kind of planned out, just so that everything happens exactly as it's supposed to. And then the servants are the ones that execute those duties for the fulfillment of the master of the house and the family of the house, so that they don't have to do them. This differs just a little bit, when it comes to the church, because in the church, the church is actually full of a body of servants. Every single one of us is called to servitude. There isn't a hierarchy. There isn't a pastor on top, and then elders below that, or actually in the Presbyterian church, elders on top pastor and staff below that, then you've got your deacons who do all the other work, and then you have the rest of the congregation all 
trickling down, right? In reality, the body of the church actually looks like just servants. There's some that have the gifting to teach and to pastor the church, and then those that are called to kind of shepherd in a group with the church, and then those that are called to serve the church in other means and capacities, and then people that are called to be praying for the church every day and doing their, their job as, as, as their role and their gifting for the church. And so you just have all these people that are just servants. All across the board, you just have servants. And then above them, you have the master. You have the head of the church, the head of the body, Jesus Christ. And so we as a church have to come to this realization that as servants of the household of God, we all are on this equal plane, serving him and serving his kingdom. And as these servants, we do three things. The first is we seek to glorify Jesus Christ. We don't seek recognition for ourselves. We don't seek to glorify ourselves. We seek to glorify Christ above all else. As servants of the church, we are to glorify him. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11 says, As each has received a gift, right? Going back to that body, receiving a gift language, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that... Everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So in this passage, our service in all things is that they would glorify Jesus. That they would glorify the Father. And so when we as, as individuals in this church model of servanthood begin to do things and act in accordance with the call of the church to serve the church, we have to do so in the realization, I'm doing this to serve God so that he would receive the glory. That nothing I do is for my own glory, nothing I do is for my own recognition, but everything is so that everything I do is that God would receive the fullness of his glory. The second thing is that as servants, we would seek God's will above our own will. During this teaching moment with the disciples, Jesus is actually teaching them, look, you have your will, and your will is to be the greatest in the kingdom. Your will is to be the greatest among my disciples. But God's will is that you would be the least in the kingdom, and that you would serve the least of these. God's desire is that his will would be put above our own. That in everything that we do in our servanthood to the church, our servitude to the church, is that we would say, Lord, I am willing to set everything aside, everything I want, all of my preferences, all of my desires, all the things that I could possibly want to see in the church. I'll set that aside for the purpose of pursuing your will for your church. Because it's not my church. It's your church. Psalm 37, 3, 4, 3 through 4 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Serve. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. 
when we see Christ Jesus as our master, and we desire to serve him, desire to know him, desire to do good for him, then we long to delight in him. And we no longer seek our own preferences and our own desires, but we long to seek his will and his desires to be fulfilled within us. The truth is, we're about to be a church that's just going through change, as every church needs to be constantly changing because healthy things grow. They, they make decisions to lop off the old and put on the new, to allow new things to be an expression of faith and worship in the church so that we might be more effective with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in order to do that, as part of servants of his church, we have to say, my desire, I will put aside. Your desire, Lord, I will put on. His desire, to sum it up in one phrase, is that the kingdom of God would be revealed in Griffin. So how do we do that? Through servanthood. Through servanthood. The last thing is this. That servants seek the unexpected. Servants seek the unexpected. Jesus did the unexpected when he picked up a child and put that child in his lap. When he said the very thing that everybody else in society says has no value, has no worth, that's the thing that I'm going to go after. I'm going to do the thing that nobody else wants to do. To be a servant means to do the unexpected. To whether it's serving the very least in society or serving the very least thing in the church. Maybe there is something in the church, the job that nobody wants to do. That nobody wants to do. And yet, maybe the Lord is saying, hey, but I'm going to call you to that. It's, it's seeking to do the unexpected as God calls you. Matthew 25, 31 through 40 says... When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then they will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And then He will place the sheep on His right but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did, you, did we seek you sick and, or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. A servant seeks to do the unexpected, to go after the very thing that everybody else says, I don't want to do it, and you do it. And again, you're doing it not to seek recognition, not to seek that anybody would see you, not that you would receive the glory, but simply that God would be glorified and that the church would flourish. And so we here have an opportunity as the church to pursue Him as servants of Christ, laying aside all that we are, 
to go after him, to seek his will, to be the body that God wants us to be. Here at FPC, can you imagine a church where there isn't any competition? We're not seeking to glorify ourselves, trying to put ourselves above anybody else. Where we're not trying to be leaders in the sense that everybody sees us out front. Where we want and desire to be recognized. Where we have the loudest voice and we get what we want. But what if we were a church that instead we become what we need to be? That we have the smallest voice that we desire to melt into the background and where we all have a servant's heart. I can just see a church that just flourishes into the fullness of who they are because the truth and the reality is when we become that church, our focus isn't on ourselves, it's on Jesus. Because it can only happen in Jesus. When you have a church full of people that are so interested in Jesus, they become that person. They become that kind of servant. Let's be that church here and reveal the kingdom of God for the fullness of his glory in our community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have called us to servitude. Lord, that to be a servant is not a punishment, but it is something to revel in, something to be so thankful for, Lord, because it is an opportunity to, for you to be glorified in us, for you to be glorified among us. God, let us be servants first here for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.